I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord tonight because I've got a long way to go. And I don't want to keep you uh, too long tonight. But uh, I've been feeling this for a number of days now. In fact, I thought that I was going to do this last week and just didn't feel like the time was right. And, uh, but I'm going to do it here tonight. And I feel like it is, uh, it is something that, that I need to do. Praise God. I feel like I have an obligation as your pastor to do what I'm going to do tonight. And I know that many folks are uh, gone tonight. They've already begun celebrating the holiday. And I understand all of that. But, uh, but the record will be there. And I am going to encourage those who are not present and not listening to be sure and go back and listen to it uh, as they can. Praise God. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Luke. Now on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I uh, preached from Luke and I read a lengthy passage from chapter one of the book of Luke. Tonight, I'm going to read a lengthy passage from chapter 2 of the book of Luke. And so please bear with me as we go through this. But, but uh, I do want to take the time to read this story in its entirety. Uh, it is an important story. And um, so Luke chapter 2 and beginning with verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because... There was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill, Toward men, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, 
let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Praise God. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful and powerful story. What a beautiful, powerful, and important story. Amen. And we're going to talk about this story here tonight. As I teach, I've taught along these lines before. This is not the first time I've done it, and I'm going to tell you it's not going to be the last, especially with social media being what it is. And all kinds of voices out there for people to hear. But I want to, I want to express to this church tonight as your pastor why I celebrate Christmas. Amen. I do have my reasons for doing it. And uh, I'm going to tell you why I do it. And why I encourage others to do it. Praise God. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down and uh, lift your hands, lift your voices unto the Lord, and let's ask God to open our hearts and our minds, and let's talk to the Lord together, everyone. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for all that we are celebrating at this time of year. The fact that you came and robed yourself in flesh. God, for the sake of our salvation. I pray, help me tonight, God, to deliver the burden of my heart. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him one more time before we're seated here tonight. Let's praise the Lord together. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Amen. <clears throat> now, let me say a few things by way of introduction tonight. First of all, I recognize that because there is some controversy around this subject, uh, I'm sure this message will be circulated. Uh, links will be passed around for people to listen to and for folks to pick apart. Uh, but having said that, let me say I'm not preaching to them. Uh, I'm not responsible for them and what they do. I'm responsible for this congregation. And I know, secondly, that because of social media, because of things like Holy Ghost Radio and, 
and other sources that provide a, a myriad of voices for you to hear that you no doubt will hear if you haven't already. Somebody saying why we as apostolics should not celebrate Christmas. And um, I, I hate that, uh, that we have to be confronted about these things. I hate that uh, there are differing opinions that are so vast uh, in, their, uh, in their difference. And uh, I hate that uh, it has in the past brought confusion. In fact, the first time that I taught along these lines, it was because of somebody in the church that had come in contact with another individual whose pastor preached against it. And uh, they began to tell this individual all the reasons why it was wrong for apostolics to engage in this celebration. And the individual, very, very sincere, approached me and said, what about it? Why is it that we celebrate when there are all of these things that say we shouldn't? And so I felt that it would be good to set the record straight. And I think that this church knows me well enough to know that I never uh, stand behind this pulpit and just strictly present my opinions. But I'm going to take the time to research and to study before I ever give an answer to any question that involves Scripture or scriptural practices. And so what I present to you tonight uh, is not just a matter of my opinion, but it is the result of study. It is the result of research. And, uh, and I believe, I believe, at least for this assembly, that I can stand before God with a clear conscience and tell you that there is every reason for us to celebrate this holiday. Praise God. I really do believe that. Amen. Now, as I said, you're going to hear all kinds of things out there. You're going to hear people saying that uh, this is a Catholic celebration. You're going to hear people say it's a pagan holiday. You're going to hear all of those things. And that's why I want to take some time tonight and try to show you from the scripture that what we are doing is neither pagan nor Catholic. What we are doing really does have a basis in the Bible. And I know that statement alone will cause a lot of folks uh, to not like what I've got to say. But it's the way I feel about it. And I believe that I can prove it to you. Now, let me say this to you as well, saints, and I've said it in time past, but please understand, you're going to hear a lot of voices express a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And even among apostolic churches, you're going to find differences about a lot of subjects. But please don't ever forget who your pastor is. And you're not obligated to keep what they're preaching across town. You're not obligated to abide by what somebody else believes or thinks. 
but you will answer for what comes across this pulpit. And that's why I take this so seriously. Amen. Praise God. I'm not, uh, it's, it's, it's not wise, the Bible says, for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. And so I'm not here tonight condemning those who see it otherwise. And I'm going to say to you that if a person has a genuine conviction against it, I would be the first to tell them, don't ever violate your conscience. When you start going against your conscience, you're, it, it's a very slippery slope. It's very dangerous. If your conscience says don't do something and you go ahead and do it anyhow, you're going to be creating problems for yourself further down the road. So I'm not here tonight to try to change anybody's convictions unless it would be those that are sitting in this assembly and those that call me pastor. And I think that, that we should base our convictions on the word of God. There ought to at the very least be some biblical principles behind the things that we do. Praise God. And so, and so again, I'm not preaching to anybody else's saints. I'm not trying to convince any other preachers. That's not my job. I'm certainly not trying to throw them under the, under the bus. And I am not trying to attack them. I'm trying to teach you. And that's my goal. And I feel like that's my responsibility. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now. I said, I'm not going to condemn those who have a true conviction against participating in this celebration. If that's their conviction, I'm not going to criticize nor condemn them for holding that conviction. However, having said that, I would also say, I would to God, they would grant us the same liberty. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul said that we are supposed to do. Let's read. Let's start here. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, I heard a man say that if you try to use this with regards to the celebration of Christmas, you're being scripturally dishonest. I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's anything dishonest in me using this passage of Scripture. Now, their claim was that this was strictly do, dealing with Jewish feast days. But here's the truth of the matter. This was written to the Roman church. The Roman church was made up not just of Jews, but there were Gentiles in that congregation. There were people that had come out of heathenism and paganism right. that were setting in that church. And when Paul made this statement in Romans 14, 5, that there's one that esteems one day above another and another esteems every day alike, when he made that statement, if he had been dealing only with Jewish feast days, he would have said so because he wasn't just writing to Jews. Right. Now, 
The second thing I need to say is no, I don't think he was telling the Gentiles that it was all right for them to participate in pagan celebrations. But I also want to tell you that's the problem with the thinking of those who refuse to accept this verse. Because what I'm doing is not pagan. I'm not worshiping some false god in what I'm doing. Well, praise God. And so this is not, I'm not trying to use this to justify pagan celebrations. I'm celebrating the fact that the God of the universe robed himself in flesh. There's nothing pagan about that. I'm not celebrating Santa Claus. I'm not celebrating Frosty the Snowman. I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's not pagan. So I have every right to use this verse and say what Paul was writing about was us learning to live charitably. If one man's got a conviction against it, fine. Let's pat him on the back, call him a brother, and let him go on and have his conviction. But if another man doesn't have any problem with it, then let's pat that man on the back, call him a brother, and let him continue on in his liberty. There's nothing dishonest about saying that's what this verse means. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I, I want to go through this tonight. And I again, I've gone through most of this. And some of you sitting here have heard me uh, in time past. In fact, uh, it's only been three years since I last taught on this subject. And uh, so some of you have heard me go through this. But, but, but I, I just really felt like that again this year it would be necessary that I address these things. Now, now again, I'm not attacking anybody. But, you know, if you've read my book on the Godhead, one of the things that you are going to see in that book is that I don't just go in and start addressing how wrong the Trinity is. But I go in and tell you this is what the Trinitarians say. This is a quote from them. And I'm going to do the same thing tonight as I deal with this principle, this situation is I want to quote from those who are saying it's wrong and explain why they are wrong in their application of these things. That's not to attack them. That's to teach you. Is everybody clear on that matter? You understand what I'm trying to do? I'm not trying to, to go against someone else. I'm trying to help you to have answers. Praise God. Now, uh, I heard one man say that uh, um, this is not apostolic for us to celebrate Christmas. And then he proceeded to give a fourfold test for whether something is apostolic. All right, he said, if it's apostolic, it's going to meet one of these four criteria. And if it doesn't meet one of these four, then it is not apostolic. 
So number one, did Jesus command it? Number two, did Peter command it? Number three, did the apostles preach or practice it? And number four, did the early church teach it or practice it for the first 100 years? All right? Now, I, I don't have a problem with those four things. Um, I think I would probably condense them to three because Peter was an apostle and I wouldn't be making a distinction there between what Peter said and what the apostles, but I understand why they did, specifically because Peter had the keys of the kingdom and so they, they, they separate that. But, but to me, it's still a part of the apostles because any other apostle, New Testament apostle, that taught something, we, we preach that, we practice it. That's what apostolic means to follow the teachings and practices of the apostles, right? right? Yes. So it doesn't matter if it's Peter or if it's John or if it's James, doesn't matter. Any of the apostles, if any of them preached it or taught it. But, but now here is the problem with limiting what we can do to only something that falls within these categories. And that is, there are many things that we do and that they do that would not fit into one of these categories. For instance, and I know this may sound silly, but if that's the only way we can be apostolic, then I want to ask you, where did Jesus, Peter, the apostles, or the early church hold a series of services and call it a revival. I don't find that in the New Testament. I don't find them doing that. And yet I don't have a problem with us saying we're apostolic when we do it. Right? They've got a problem with us picking a day and giving it a name because Jesus didn't say it, Peter didn't say it, the apostles didn't say it, the early church didn't say it, but yet they have quote-unquote revivals. Um, please tell me where Jesus, Peter, the apostles, or the early church separated the children and had Sunday school. They didn't do it. There's no record of that ever happening. But does that make us not apostolic because we do? I don't think so. I don't think that disqualifies us from the title of apostolic just because we have Sunday school. Hallelujah. Let's, 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 now I could really, I mean, I could really get off into some things. I mean, we could talk about microphones and air conditioning and bus routes and indoor plumbing. <laughs> indoor plumbing. <laughs> Although they did have, some did have indoor plumbing back then. They, 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 they did. I, I didn't realize that. Now it's different than our indoor plumbing, but they did have some. And uh, we won't get into all of that, but... Um, but anyhow, we, we, could, we could talk about 
all of that. They certainly didn't use social media. They didn't have projectors. I mean, we could, if, if that's the only things we can do and be apostolic, are those things that fit into these four criteria, then there's not an apostolic church on the face of the earth today that I know of. But let's take it, even ignoring those things like modern conveniences, let me, let me talk about something else. Now, they, they say we can't celebrate Christmas that day because Jesus didn't command it, Peter didn't command it, the apostles didn't command it, the early church didn't observe it. So let me ask you this. Do they celebrate Mother's Day? Let's face it. If we wanted to, we could trace that back to paganism. We really can. You can look it up for yourself, but we really can. And, and really, it, it all sprang from, from, from fertility rights and all of that. And uh, I mean, if we really want to really follow this pathway, then those who don't celebrate Christmas should not be having Mother's Day celebrations either. And they shouldn't be having Father's Day celebrations either. Jesus never commanded that we do that. Peter never commanded it. The apostles never commanded it. The early church didn't practice it. And let me go a step further. And this may come as a surprise to some of you. But do you know that Jesus, Peter, the apostles, and the early church did not even celebrate their own birthdays? The ancient Jews did not celebrate their birthdays. And from all we can find in history, the early church did not celebrate their birthdays. So if we're not allowed to celebrate Christmas because it doesn't fit one of those four, four criteria, they need to quit celebrating their own birthdays. Well, hallelujah. Now I'll get to the scripture. You just bear with me. I'm, I'm just trying to do like I do in my book and, and address some of these issues that get brought up and, and try to explain it. In fact, let me, let, me, let me say this, and this is a fact. I've, I know of people who absolutely uh, refuse to celebrate Christmas, but every year when February 14th rolls around, They'll honor their sweetheart. Now let me tell you something. If you're going, and, and, and by the way, let's, let's get Revelation 18 verse 4. Get that for me. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Now, now many, many Bible scholars, including apostolic Bible scholars, will tell you Revelation 18 is dealing with the Roman Catholic Church here. And so many of these people who preach against Christmas want to take you to Revelation 18.4. Come out of her, my people. And they say that if you don't give up the celebration of Christmas, you're still honoring Catholicism. Now, isn't that interesting that... It's only giving up Christmas that allows you to come out of her. 
but you can honor St. Valentine's Day, which is the birthday of a Catholic priest. Explain to me how you can celebrate the birth of a Catholic priest and not be Catholic, but you can't celebrate the birth of Christ without being Catholic. All I'm asking for is some consistency. Well, praise God. And, and in all fairness, I do know of a few, very, very few, that don't celebrate birthdays, don't celebrate any holidays. Uh, I do know of very few that they, they, they go by that. And I appreciate their consistency in what they're doing. But don't tell me that I'm still practicing Catholicism for celebrating the birth of Christ if you're going to celebrate the birth of a Catholic priest by the name of Valentine. Now, I'm not preaching against Valentine's Day, all right? Because I'm not celebrating his birth in what I'm doing. I'm celebrating my wife and my love for her. That's what I'm celebrating. And it just so happens that the majority of the world talks about love on that particular day. And those people don't seem to have a problem joining in with the world in that celebration. But they've got every problem joining with the world in celebrating the birth of Christ. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I'm submitting to you that Jesus certainly never commanded that we celebrate the birth of St. Valentine, especially since he wasn't born until many centuries after Jesus. Well, praise God. I hope that I'm making my point. Now, I also heard uh, that uh, some of them reject this celebration on the basis of, now get this, they say that, that December 25th was set as the date of Jesus' birth by the Council of Nicaea. Some of you will recognize that name. Council of Nicaea 325 AD, where they defined the doctrine of the Trinity. And they officially made for the Catholic Church baptism in the Trinitarian titles the official form of baptism. That happened at the Council of Nicaea. Now, I've heard people say that, that because Nicaea started Trinitarianism and started Trinitarian baptism and we reject that, that we need to reject December 25th because they started that too. Now, I will tell you, I tried to find where history said that Nicaea started uh, this whole thing of, of celebrating Christmas on December 25th. I can't find that in any history books that I have. I can't find it online. Even Sister Google didn't know anything about that. I did find where they set the date for Easter at the Council of Nicaea, but not the date for Christmas. But regardless of that, Brother Nelson, I don't care who started the Trinitarian doctrine. I don't preach against the Trinity because it started at Nicaea. 
I don't preach against Trinitarian baptism because it started at Nicaea. I preach against it because it's in direct contradiction to the word of God, regardless of who started it. And even if Nicaea was the first, uh, which history indicates that's not the case, but even if it was, that's irrelevant to me. I'm not looking at who started this celebration because I'm going to tell you that even though it wasn't December 25th and I'm going to show you in just a few minutes if you'll bear with me I'm going to show you that there is a biblical example of celebrating the Lord's birth well praise God so the celebration of the Lord's birth didn't start with Nicaea it started 300 years before that. Come on. Come on now. Praise God. I'll show you in a few moments. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, they also point out, and I'm, as I said, I'm going to get to the scriptures in just a few minutes. I just want to deal with these things and get them out of the way. They, they point out, uh, they say there are pagan origins to what's going on. They, they point out that pagans celebrated around the winter solstice, which is uh, the day, uh, you know, the, 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 the shortest day of winter. And they, they, they point out there was a celebration that pagans had at that time. And, and that in that celebration, they lit candles and they sang songs and they gave gifts. And all of that's true. I don't deny any of that. I don't deny that those things happened among the pagans. Now, it didn't happen on December 25th, but it was somewhere around the 20th, 21st of December, usually each year, somewhere in that period of time, but it wasn't the 25th. All right, now, uh, Constantine made it official for the Catholics uh, in the 300s, but again, it was from all I could read before the Council of Nicaea that he did that. But there were already people celebrating that date before Constantine ever issued that decree. And so, and so I, I, I do understand that there were pagan festivals going on at that time. I also agree that Jesus was most likely not born on December 25th. And any of you that have been around this church for any amount of time, I've, I've actually had some, some men say, you're lying to your people when you celebrate Christmas. Well, I, I've never lied to this church. I've never got up and said, this is his birthday. In fact, I think I've made it clear that I don't believe that he was born on this day. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know what day he was born on. And I've also said this, if I adopted a child and I didn't know when that child's birthday was, the certificate got lost or whatever, or somebody just dropped the child off at an orphanage and there's no paperwork, there's no way to know when the child's born, I'm going to tell you this, I'm not going to make that child live through the entire year while its siblings are getting their birthday celebrated and tell this child, we don't know what day it is, so if we pick a day, we're lying not going to do that I'm going to show that child that I love that child by celebrating its birth and I'll pick a day 
And I may tell them when they get old enough, I will tell them when they get old enough, this was not your birthday. We don't know when it was, but we are celebrating you. Yes, yes, sir. Well, praise God. So I'm not lying to anybody to say December 25th is the day we're celebrating his birth. Not the day he was born, but the day we celebrate it. Listen to me. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that's ever celebrated your birthday on a different day? I think most everybody has. There's situations that come up with your family. There's, there's things that come up and you can't be there on that day. I've been in Africa on my birthday before. We celebrate beforehand. The church usually honors me on my birthday, either the Sunday before or the Sunday after. Am I supposed to get up and say, you bunch of liars? You know this is not my birthday. What's wrong with celebrating the day regardless of when you celebrate it? Come on now. Right. Somebody asked Brother Burgess about this. And, and he said, you know what? He said, every year my birthday falls during heritage. I don't get to celebrate. He said, it's going to be a different day. I never get to celebrate on my birthday. We got way too much going on. And I understand exactly what he's talking about. Is it wrong? Is it a lie to pick another day and celebrate? No, if we're celebrating the fact of the birth... It's only a lie if we insist this was the day when we know it wasn't. And I don't know if it was or not. I don't think it was. I think there's pretty good uh, evidence that it was not December 25th or any time in December. That may come as a shock to some of you, but look, we read it in our text tonight. The shepherds were out in the fields watching their sheep. That doesn't generally happen in the end of December in Israel. I was in, I was in Israel the 1st of January in 2013. And I'm going to tell you, it got cold. In fact, the day we were leaving, which was I think around the, I don't even know now, 14th, something like that, 12th, 13th of January, somewhere in that time frame, uh, we, we were getting ready to leave, and there was a freak snowstorm that almost snowed us in. We almost couldn't get home. So, so I'm telling you, it's very doubtful that these shepherds were out in the open fields in, in late December, It's very doubtful that there were very many stars shining in late December. It's very doubtful that these things happened at that time, but I don't know when it did happen. And here's what I'm saying. The rest of the world, the world, the whole world. I'm not talking about the carnal world. I'm talking about the world population. The majority of people at least give God some kind of token nod during this time. They at least talk about him during this time. Why shouldn't we take advantage of that while he's at least on their mind in a small degree? Praise God. I mean, I could pick a day and say, oh, it was in July. And then I'm going to look like an idiot to the rest of the world. I don't know when it was. 
I have no idea. But because I don't know, I'm going to pick a day and celebrate it. Because his birth is far more important than mine. And I'm going to tell you, as for me, I'm not saying this for anybody else, but as for me, I would feel like an absolute hypocrite to celebrate my own birth and not celebrate his. My birth is not going to affect nearly as many people as his has. His birth is far more important and deserves far more celebration than mine ever will. Well, praise God. So I say to you, we ought to celebrate his birth. We ought to do it. And I want to say unequivocally that none of the ways I celebrate Christmas points to pagan religions or false gods. Well, hallelujah. Now, I'm I'm almost finished with all this and then we're going to get into some scripture here and I I realize the time, so bear with me for just a few more moments. But another argument that I've heard is, uh, is based on what is called the law of exclusion. And uh, they say that, that uh, there's a principle that if God specifies things, you can't add anything to what God specifies. And I understand that. I, I, I know, I, I agree that when it came to the building of the ark or, or the erection of the, of the uh, tabernacle, it, men were not allowed to just go in and do what they wanted to do. God was very specific on dimensions, on materials. It was all specified. And you can't go in and add that. But here at this point, they are taking something and going way too far with what is merely a principle that applies most of the time. Now, their point is, God was very specific in giving us feast days to celebrate. And he never said to celebrate the Lord's birth. Therefore, if we celebrate the Lord's birth, we're adding to what God created. And we are wrong for doing so. Now, let me show you why there is a real flaw in that line of thinking. And I'm going to show you from the scripture. All right, go over to John chapter 10. And verses 22 and 23. Brother Nelson, John 10, verses 22 and 23. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. The feast of the dedication. And it was winter. And it was winter. All right? Read. And Jesus walked, and in, Jesus the walked in the temple. In Solomon's porch. Now let me tell you something. There was a feast going on, a festival that was happening. This was not one of the feast days that God instituted. This feast day did not appear anywhere in the Old Testament law. This feast day is what is even to today called Hanukkah. It is called the Festival of Lights. It's a time of celebration. Now, when does Hanukkah take place? Right about this same time of year. So about this same time of year, there was a feast day going on that God did not institute. And Jesus went to the temple and celebrated it. 
Well, thank God for his word. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God just knows how to just explain all of this to us if we'll just take the time to look at it? Well, hallelujah. Listen, if there is some law of exclusion whereby we cannot add any festivals or holidays that God didn't create, then Jesus violated that law. And I submit to you, if Jesus could celebrate something at that time of year, right around the winter solstice, right around the time the pagans were celebrating and the pagans were celebrating with lighting of candles, singing of songs, going to their houses of worship and Jesus went to the house of worship and they lit candles and they sang songs and Jesus had no problem with it. In fact, he inspired John to put it in the word of God so we would know he had no problem with it. Well, I submit to you, if Jesus had no problem with it, we shouldn't either. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Now look. You remember those four principles that determines whether something's apostolic? What was the first one? Did Jesus do it? Well, did he? No, he didn't celebrate his birthday as far as we can tell, but he did celebrate a festival, a feast day at that time of year that incorporated things pagans were also doing. And he had no problem celebrating it. If Jesus did it, that puts it in that category for me. And I can say we're apostolic even though we celebrate Christmas. Well, praise God. Now, now listen, let's just, let's just talk about some things very quickly here. So they don't want us lighting candles and turning on lights because that's what the pagans did. <clears throat> you know, lighting, uh, shining lights, I should say, in celebration of the birth of the Savior was not something that was brought over from paganism. It's something God orchestrated. Look at Luke chapter eight, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Uh-huh. And lo, the angel of the Lord now, now came upon this. them. Now watch this. Watch this. The, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory. And now the what? The glory. The glory. Of the Lord. Of shone. the Lord. Did what? Shone. Shone. Everyone say shown. Shone. The glory of the Lord shone round about, round about them. And they, were sore, and they were sore afraid. Now this glory shone, you, you know, that's an old English word. It's the ancient past tense for the word shine. So something was shining. And in fact, it's interesting. The Greek word is really a compound word. It's peri, which, is, which means around. And the other half of it is lampo, L-A-M-P-O. 
It, it means to illuminate. In fact, one commentator said that the very phrase, the glory of the Lord, the way that it's written, the way that it's used, that phrase alone means exceedingly great or a bright, luminous appearance. Here's what I'm telling you. When the, when the, when, when the baby was born, God orchestrated a light show. God began to shine a glorious bright light in celebration of the baby that was born in the manger. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. God did that. God did that. In fact, not only did he have the angels come and his glory shone, but what other lights do we know about that, that, uh, in, that, that are involved in this story of the birth of the Savior? How about Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2? Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, uh-huh. saying Where is he where that's, is born, he king of that's the Jews? born king of the Jews? For we have, For seen, we have his seen his star. His star. In the, east. in the east and are come to worship, and are him. Come to worship him I'm oh, telling you it was a star that was bright enough that they could see it hundreds of miles away you talk about a light show you talk about God turning on a fire in the night to celebrate a birth don't tell me it's wrong for me to put a few lights on my house or put a few lights, uh, amen, around uh, in, my, in my living room to celebrate the birth of the Savior when God himself was about the business of shining lights when the baby was born. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't get it from the pagans. Right. They didn't teach me to do this. God and his angels did it. And I'm just following their lead. Well, praise God. Oh, singing songs. That's what the pagans did. Well, what do you think was going on at the birth of Jesus? Let's read it again. Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel. There was with the angel. A multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God. Praising God. And saying. saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. God in the highest and on earth, and on earth peace, peace goodwill good toward, toward men. Listen, the first Christmas carols were not written by pagans. They were sung by the angels themselves. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. What about giving gifts? That's, that's certainly pagan. No, no, no. You know the story. Don't tell me that we're doing this because the pagans did it. I wouldn't even know the pagans did it if I hadn't had to do all this research. I'm not doing it because the pagans did it. I want to tell you who gave me an example that it's all right to give gifts at the birth of the Savior. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they were coming, when to they the were house, coming into the house, they saw the they young, saw child, the young with child with mother, Mary, his mother, and fell and down, fell and, down worshiped and worshiped him. And when they had opened, their, they treasure, had opened their treasures, they presented, they presented unto him, him gifts, gold, gold and frankincense, and, and myrrh. Now listen, what were they celebrating at that time? They, wait, they were celebrating what? So, 
Wait a minute, that's not his birthday. In fact, I've, I've already shown, I, I showed a couple weeks ago, it was probably two years after he was born that they're out here giving. But do you know why they were there and you know why they were giving gifts? Because they were celebrating his birth. Not on his birthday, but they weren't a bunch of liars celebrating something that didn't take place on that day. They were celebrating the fact of what happened, and that's what I'm doing. Well, well, you're giving it to other people. Yes, that's exactly right. And Jesus did say, when you've done it under one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now, I'd love to be able to wrap up a box and take it to Jesus himself on Christmas Day. I can't do that, but you know what I can do? I can take it to one of his children. I can take it to a brother or a sister. I can give something to them as an expression of the fact I'm happy that Jesus came to this earth. I'm excited that Jesus came to this earth. Well, now look. But even then, the wise men were not the first ones to give a gift. Let's go to a familiar verse, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the God world. God so loved the world that, that what? That he gave his that, only wait a minute, that he what? Son. That he gave. That he what? That he gave. That he what? That he gave. So what was the first gift that was given in celebration? Amen. It was the gift of the Savior himself. And it was given to the whole world. Not given back to God, but given to us. The first Christmas gift was the gift of the Savior that was delivered to everybody. Right. Woo. Yes. Oh, yes. Well... I get a little fired up about all this. <clears throat> Obviously. That's good. That's good. But I believe passionately that this is something worth celebrating. Okay, okay. So, so what about, are you ready for this? The Christmas tree. That's pagan. Some years ago, uh, we were having Christmas at the parsonage and a new convert, well-meaning. Still can't figure this out. He had, been, he had been converted while in prison and I still can't figure out why the preacher who went into the prison to preach to prisoners chose to preach against Christmas trees to prisoners in prison. But somehow he felt like it was important enough to get that message across to those guys. So this guy gets out of prison, comes settles here, gets, we pray him through, baptize him, and, and then we have Christmas at the parsonage. And he comes in and then he's gone for a few minutes. A little while he comes back in with his Bible. And he's got it open. And he's got this look almost of terror on his face. He walks up to me and he said, Pastor, have you ever read Jeremiah 10? <laughs> Jeremiah, where's that? <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's over some of your heads, but then, you know, shows my age. I said, yes, I've read Jeremiah 10. 
And Jeremiah 10 has nothing to do with Christmas trees. Now, let me deal with it. Let's, let's talk about it here. I'm, I'm trying to move on. Uh, let's, let's, let's get there. We are, Jeremiah 10, read for me verses 1 through 4. Hear ye the, the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, uh-huh. O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not Thus the way saith of the, Lord, the heathen. Learn not the way of the heathen. And be not dismayed be not at the dismayed signs, of heaven, signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at heathen them. Heathen are dismayed at them. They do everything based on the seasons, on the winter solstice. And, all right? So read on. Verse 3. For the customs of the people are vain. The customs of the people are vain. For, for one cutteth, for a, tree one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands the of the workmen. The hands the of the workmen with they the deck axe. it with silver and with gold. They, they fasten it with nails and with hammers. And gold and that it fasten not. it with nails and hammers that it move not. And they say, see, that's a perfect description of a Christmas tree. And you know what? To somebody who doesn't understand the scripture, I would agree. If you don't take it in context, it'd be easy to think that's what he's talking about. Now, I want to tell you, as I've said always, if you're going to interpret scripture, you got to at least consider the context. You've got to look at the verses before, the verses after. So let's just, they they want to stop here with verse 4, but we're not going to stop with verse 4. Let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 7, read. They are upright as the palm Now they're talking about these trees that they've cut down and they've decked them with silver and gold and fastened them with nails so they don't move. And they said these trees now are upright as the palm tree. But But they speak not. Is is there anybody who's ever set up a Christmas tree and expected to hear it talk to you? If so, you need help that I can't provide. (laughs) They speak not. Read. They must needs be born. They must needs be. They have to be carried everywhere. Now, now I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it alone. I've got too much ground to cover still. I, I can't get off into all these, but I don't know about you, but we don't make it a habit of carrying the tree around. <clears throat> go ahead. Because they cannot They go. cannot go. So he says, be not afraid of Don't be afraid. If you're afraid of your Christmas tree, why do you have one? All right, let's let's go on. For they cannot do evil. They cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them. Neither is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto There's thee, none Lord, like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great. Thou art great. And thy name. Thy is name great is great in might. might. Read. Who would fear thee? Who would king not of fear thee, great. O King of nations? For to for thee, to thee, thee does, it does it appertain. 
For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto Can you not see that what's being discussed here is not a Christmas tree or anything like it? It's an idol. Now, they say, well, that th there's a principle that applies. And, and, and you can apply this principle to the Christmas tree. Only if you're going to worship the Christmas tree. Only if you're going to pray to the Christmas tree can you apply this passage to a Christmas tree. Because this passage is talking about them expecting to hear a voice. Them expecting some good or evil to come from what they have erected. That does not describe a Christmas tree. Not any that I've known and not a, I've never known anybody that thought that's what came from the tree they set up. Let's keep reading. Context is everything. Verses 10 through 12. But the Lord is the true God. Mm. He is the living God. Is there any question, saints? This is about idolatry. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to worship that tree, don't you dare get one. That's right. But I don't know anybody that does. He's talking about you are the true God. Yes. You're the living God. You're the everlasting king. Yes. Read. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble. Yes. And the nations shall not be able to abide in his indignation. Yeah, don't be afraid of this idol that's been carved from a tree. Be afraid of God. Thus shall you say unto them, uh -huh. the gods that have not the made gods the that have the not earth, made the heavens and earth, even they shall they perish, shall perish from, the earth, from the earth and from, and under, from these under these heavens. heavens. He hath made the earth by his power and established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens. By his discretion. By, listen, I'm telling you, you are taking that verse totally out of context to try to make it a Christmas tree. To apply it to a Christmas tree is to take it out of context because the whole context of this passage is dealing with idolatry. Right, 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 right. Not decorations. Which it's amazing. I've seen a lot of them decorate other trees in their house and they don't have any problem with that. And Jeremiah didn't say, you know, this is really bad if you do it on December 25th. I mean, he just says, don't do it. And, and if this passage prohibits the decoration of a tree, then it prohibits it under any circumstance on any day at any time of the year. But that's not what this passage is doing. This passage is telling us that, that the heathen go out and they carve idols out of these trees. They expect these idols to speak to them. They expect these idols to answer their prayers. They're afraid of what these idols might do to them if they don't do something pleasing to the idol. And Jeremiah says, no, there's only one God. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the king of all kings. Don't be afraid of what man's carved, but be afraid of the one God that truly exists. Hallelujah. Now, listen to me. I've heard it and heard it and heard it. And I've even seen tracts passed out. People handing out tracts in churches that I've pastored. I don't know that it's ever happened here. 
And I pray that it never does. But I've actually, churches that I've pastored before had a few people in the church that were totally against Christmas trees and they'd get some track they found somewhere that told everybody, you trace the tree back to the worship of Tammuz and you can, you can go all the way back to Babylon and that's where the Christmas tree originated. And, but what happened to Catholicism? I thought that's where it started. But, but, but anyhow, they, they're not sure where it started. But, but anyhow, they want to trace it back to Babylon and Nimrod and Tammuz and, and, uh, and all of that. But I'm going to tell you, I have never, ever, can I say that strongly enough? Ever, ever, in all my years of studying, ever found one credible source that tied Christmas trees to ancient Babylon. Never. In fact, I asked a man one time, I said, look, I've read books. I, I had a man that I pastored that, that tried to tell me about the Christmas tree going back to Tammuz and Babylon and all of that. And I said, bring me some proof because I've never seen it. So he went to the library, came back to my house with a stack of books. Brother Nelson, I went through those books and not one of them, not one, said what this man was trying to tell me. I have looked, I have searched, I have researched. Finally, I, there was a man that was just so adamant about it. And, and so I asked him, I said, all right, tell me. I, I've been through, I don't know how many books already. I've searched everywhere I know to search. If there's one book that you believe would really help me to see the connection between a tree and ancient Babylon, what is that book? And without hesitation, he said, he, he told me this. He said, Two Babylons, written by Alexander Hislop. Now, I got the book. I ordered the book. I got the book. Hislop does a lot of uh, commentary on things and takes, ties them back to Babylon. And, and I'm going to tell you, on many of his pages, on many subjects, he'll have like one paragraph on the page where he's dealing with his explanation or, or expounding of this, whatever it is he's dealing with and the connection to Babylon. And then the rest of the page is footnotes proving what he said until you get to his chapter on Christmas. And suddenly he doesn't have any footnotes. He's got just a few and he references some books that I can't even find ever existed. And furthermore, if you start looking up Mr. Hislop, here's what you find out. The guy that helped him write the book, some years later came out and said, it's all a bunch of baloney. It's not true. We made it all up. Now that's the best book they've got to offer me to try to prove that a Christmas tree is tied to Tamas and Nimrod, and ancient Babylon. I'm telling you, there's no record anywhere of such a thing. It doesn't exist. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure this message will get around and somebody will send me the proof. And I don't mind telling you if I get some proof. But I'm just telling you that in all my years of researching it, I've sure not seen it yet. Well, hallelujah. Every reliable source that I have found 
points to the origin of the Christmas tree as a strictly Christian symbol. In fact, most people say Martin Luther is the one who really started uh, this practice. And I know there's some that condemn that because it came from Luther. But you know, there's other things that Luther started that they don't mind. Luther was the one who came out of Catholicism saying, you're not saved by works. They're not against everything Luther said. Just the things that disagree with them. And, and so everybody that I've found, if they don't trace it back to Martin Luther, they trace it, they trace it back most of the time to Germany. Uh, they, they, they trace it back a few hundred years, not all the way back to Babylon. But even then, it, it is traced back to a purely Christian symbol. It was chosen. An evergreen tree was chosen because the evergreen symbolizes everlasting life. Some of you may not know this, but this is a fact. This is the real history of this horrible, evil, pagan Christmas tree. The lights that were put on the branches were to symbolize the fact that he is the light of the world. It's a tree, by the way, because it was from a tree that he was hung to be crucified to purchase our salvation. They put a star at the top to represent the star of Bethlehem. Everything about the Christmas tree had a Christian symbol, not a pagan one. Well, now that's the facts. And if anybody can prove me wrong, I'm open to correction. And I don't mind telling the church if I'm wrong. But I'm just telling you, I'm not expecting to be proven wrong because I've researched it enough. I know what I'm talking about. Now they will tell you that God's against allowing trees in any form of worship. God was totally against it. But I'm just gonna say this. A couple of things I'm gonna say about it. Number one, you better go back and look at Solomon's temple again. Solomon had all kinds of green trees inside that temple. And you know what happened when he erected that temple? Does anybody remember what happened? When Solomon finished the building of the temple and prayed his dedicatory prayer with all these green trees inside the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. God accepted the sacrifice and was pleased with what they did. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I would give you a verse of scripture here for your consideration. Psalm 52 verse 8. I'm almost finished, I promise you. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Wait a minute. I thought God was against green trees in any form of worship. Read that again. But I am like a green olive tree. In the I'm house like of a God. green olive tree where? In the house of God. Hmm. Maybe God's not so against the use of trees. It just depends on how they're used. Right, right. Well, praise God. Yes. I gotta hurry. Yes. I know I gotta hurry. I'm, I promise I'm coming to a close. What have I got here? I got two more passages of scripture and we're done. And I know it's overtime. So, Sister Regan, if you wanna come play, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm 
just kidding. Hallelujah. I'm just kidding. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm, and I'm being serious. And again, I'm not trying to attack them. And I'm, many of these men are men that I love and respect dearly. And I wouldn't be this forceful about it if you weren't being subjected, many of you, to having to hear and read these things on social media. If they'd keep it within the confines of their own church, I wouldn't have to address it. So I'm not attacking them. I love them. I respect them. This is their choice. They can preach whatever they feel like they want to preach. They'll answer to God for it, and I'm going to do the same. But I do have some real questions that I can't figure out because if they really believe that these practices are pagan, why do they allow men to preach behind their pulpits that they know are practicing pagan things? And I know they do. They preach men that have Christmas trees. And if they really believe that's pagan, why are they letting pagans behind their pulpit? If they really believe what they say. I, I, don't, I don't count rosary beads because I'm not a Catholic. And I don't uh, pray to Mary because I'm not a Catholic. And I don't have a Christmas tree because I'm not a Catholic. So the implication is anybody that has one is a Catholic. Then why are you letting Catholics preach for you? And that's a very honest and sincere question. I'm going to tell you they don't really believe that. They can't. You hear me? If they are going to say... You can't celebrate Christmas because it's Catholic, but they're going to celebrate Valentine's Day. If they're going to say you can't celebrate Christmas because it's pagan, but they're going to preach men who do what they say are pagan activities, there is no consistency in that. And I'm going to tell you, this is just me. But I see them the way the Lord described Ephraim. In Hosea 7, verse 8. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Now, do you understand what that means? The cakes in the Old Testament, what they were talking about, there would be an open flame, and they would take this, they would knead this, this, this uh, dough, and they would make little cakes out of them and put them over the open fire, and you'd, you'd let one side cook, and you'd have to turn it over, and then let the other side cook to get it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And, and what the Bible said about Ephraim is, he's a cake not turned. In other words, you just left that cake on one side, you burned it on one side. And it's still raw on the other. And I'm telling you, if you're going to get up and say that, that Christmas and Christmas trees are pagan and Catholic, but you're going to use men who do it, or you're going to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're a cake not turned. You've burnt one side and left the other side raw. I just want to be consistent through and through. Praise God. 
I'm, all I ask is for consistency. I believe we have every reason to celebrate this day. His birth, I've said it before, I say again, was the single greatest event in human history. The fact that the God of the universe took on human flesh and was born of a virgin girl is the greatest single event in human history. I know his death was important and his resurrection was essential, but none of that could have happened had it not been for his birth. This is the greatest event. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I love our country. Our country's got problems. But I know some of them that will not celebrate the Lord's birth, but they go all out celebrating the birth of this nation. Now, please explain to me why the birth of this nation is a bigger event than the birth of the Savior. Right, right, right. You're going to tell me the world that, 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 that heathens are not celebrating the birth of America. I'm telling you, most of the people out there celebrating. And you join right with them and you follow and you do exactly what they do and you celebrate it in the same way they celebrate it and it's okay to celebrate the birth of this country exactly the way the heathen celebrate it. But don't celebrate the birth of the Savior. There's no consistency there. The birth of the Savior is far greater than the birth of this country. And I love our country. We got problems. We got major problems, but I still love our country. I've been to other countries. I've been overseas. We still have the best thing going. In spite of all our problems, it's just, but I'm just going to tell you, as much as I love where I'm at and where I was born, it's not nearly as important to me as the one who came to this earth and bled and died for me. His birth is more important than July 4th could ever be. Yes, yes sir. Oh, yeah. In fact, you better start playing because I got to quit. In fact, July 4th is not really the birthday of this nation. It's not. <laughs> That's not really when this nation was born. They signed the Declaration of Independence. But the nation wasn't born for a number of years after that. With the formation of the colonies into one United States. So I'm wrong for celebrating a day I know is not his birth but you can celebrate a day you know is not the birth of this nation and that's okay I don't follow that logic I'm going to tell you this is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind the greatest thing that ever will happen to mankind the angel clearly said this was the reason for his birth amen was for our salvation Matthew 1 I'm closing let's stand Matthew 1 verses 20 to 21 but while he thought, while on, he these thought things, on these things behold, the, angel the angel of the Lord, Lord appeared unto him in a dream, dream saying Joseph Thou son, thou son of David, of David. fear not fear to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which for is that conceived which in her is of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Read, she shall bring she forth, shall forth a son, and thou, and thou shalt, shalt call his name, his name 
Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. You know what I'm celebrating? I'm not celebrating Nimrod. I'm not celebrating Tammuz. I'm celebrating salvation. I'm celebrating the fact that I can be free from my sin because a baby was born in Bethlehem. Regardless of what day it happened, the fact is it happened and I'm thankful that it did. And I'm going to celebrate it because it's an event well worth celebrating. Let's lift our hands and love him right now.